Have you enjoyed listening to travel and shit? Well, then consider becoming a subscriber. Beginning December 1st, you can support the work I've been doing to get you an episode each week and get exclusive access to all episodes one week early. Beginning December 1st, exclusive early access will be given to subscribers. I'd love to give you first listen. Consider supporting the show and becoming a subscriber. For more info, go to travelandshitpodcast.com slash subscribe. I made it around the world And came back with stories to tell Different places to call home Now I'm never on my own Dietations to my people hitting foreign nations Food, travel and shit Moving to live Life in the sky Stories to give The ones who make it there and can make it back Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Travel and Shit, where I, your host, D. Carrie, have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. I am very excited about this episode, so going to dive right in. Um, as a heads up, this is actually not a sponsored episode, but Netflix, holla at me because <laughs> we could do things in the future. But we just started watching um drink masters on netflix and when i tell y'all blown it is so well done uh what is the host name tone bone or tone something and i as an 80s baby and 90s kid i'm immediately thinking of tone um tone lock r.i.p didn't he die i don't know but really great show Love, love, love the show. It is especially endearing to us because we both had stints as bartenders. So um, let's, so let me start by saying this episode is basically going to be based on the episodes of the show, Drink Masters. And each episode you I don't know if they started with let's just say 10 contestants they started with a bunch of contestants and they're all like really 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 and mind you these aren't let me also preface this by saying these are mixologists on the show I was um not highly trained or even particularly skilled I was just pretty and a really great person with I'm a really good people person and um Basic bartending is not rocket science. I'm also a very creative person. For me, I loved, absolutely adored being a bartender because I was being paid to get creative. My favorite, and mind you, when I was bartending, I bartended in the hood. It was a strip club, so wasn't nothing fancy. People came in, they would get a Coco Loso. That was about as uh, fancy as it got. I did a lot of Heinekens and a lot of Coronas, um, a lot of straight Patron and Henny shots. It was quite simple where I was. The difficult part was, uh-huh, you know, dealing with those personalities that feel as if they can reach out and touch and then just get real drunk and real annoying. The people that want to flirt, then don't tip. It was that kind of stuff, right? So the people aspect was probably the most difficult um, part of what I was doing. Um, also... Thankfully, this was in the beginning era of apps and smartphones, like smartphones having apps. This was probably, when was I bartending? 
I was bartending 2000 and probably, I think I started maybe 2006. Let's just say 2006, give or take between 2005 and 2007. So let's go with 2006. But anyway, if somebody came in and asked me for something that I didn't really, um, you know, know how to make, I would just go to the little app. And if the app didn't have it, I would just ask them, do you know what's in it? And if they didn't know, I'd be like, all right, so I can't help you. I don't, Unfortunately, I don't know what's in the drink. The other bartender don't know what's in the drink. I also worked with another bartender. Shout out to Mahogany. She was quite old at the time. She was probably like 60 something and she was super sweet. But I remember she used to always be one of those people that would ask for a tip or complain if you didn't give her a tip. So I got quite a few tips because people would really be turned off by her making a scene or making a fuss about, so you're not going to tip? You're going to order all these beers and you're not going to tip? And they'd be like, Actually, I was getting there, but because you being nasty about it, like, no, you're good. I'm good. So nobody, they would stop ordering from her, come to my side, order for me, and then tip me because I never asked. I just did my job. Um, Tipping is another conversation. We will get there a different day. Um, But first episode, enter the bar, get introduced to your um, mixologist because what I was doing was bartending. With these talented people, um we're doing on the show mixology you have a drink and then you've got a cocktail i make drinks right i would get hired to do like barbecues parties i think i said a bridal shower i did do a bridal shower for natalie and jeff i hope y'all are still happily married if you ever find yourselves to this episode mazel tov um and I kept it easy, simple, nothing wild, nothing crazy, mixed drinks, I'm pleasant, I remember stuff, and I move fast. So I did well for my little pocket of what was necessary. Um, These contestants, mixologists, the best at what they fucking do. I gotta say that from Jump, my favorites have been LP, black woman from DC, but she's originally from the Bronx. Let's go New York, my baby's from the Bronx. Um, there was a woman, I see her face. I do not remember her name. And I'm afraid to look up like anything about the cast because we still have like two episodes left, I think. And I don't want to know who wins before. So I don't even want to look up the cast names for fear that I'm going to get a spoiler, but it was LP. I want to say Suzu is one of my favorites and not the woman with the pink hair, but she had like red hair and she made some of the most thoughtful, like her drinks always told a freaking story. And I don't want to say anything that might spoil the show for you because I highly, highly, highly recommend y'all watch it. Like it is so good. Just the creativity. If you are a creator or a person that enjoys pretty things or making things or does anything in your life passionately, you're going to get into the show. The passion and the love, the that these uh, mixologists, that these crafters have for what they do is just beautiful to fucking watch. The ideas that they come up with, because the tasks are timed. Um, they have a either sometimes a short amount of time or a longer amount of time to create their cocktails, or 
they have to do a um, rendition of a drink based on a theme. And so in terms of themes, each of the episodes had a theme that the contestants either had to make a drink based on a theme, alter a um, existing drink based on a theme. Like in the first episode, Enter the Bar, they had to do like a spin on a margarita. Margaritas, margaritas, they're, they can be very relatively easy to make, um, but they can also be difficult to make depending on how you do it. So... That was the first episode and Enter the Bar. Tribute to that, I gave y'all a little bit of background of my bar experience and also pointed out the difference between your bartenders and your mixologists. The mixologists are crafting cocktails for you. They have more of, they have a way better understanding of the actual spirits that they're using. They understand drink pairing. They understand flavor profiles. They understand different textures and consistencies of the uh, spirits and alcohols that they are infusing and mixing. They understand so many different technologies in terms of the accoutrement, if you will, that go along with a lot of these high-end cocktails that um, you get the the garnishes. Does your garnish complement and pair well with the drink that you're making? Um, I remember there was one episode where a contestant wanted to use dry ice. I had no, I mean, yes, I knew dry ice could be dangerous, but he implemented it in a drink. And, um, without it being, it's not much of a spoiler. The judges were like, "Mm, is this even safe to drink? Question mark. Don't know if we're going to do this. Um, but so many, like I, there were so many things that I didn't even consider partner and I, boyfriend and I love a good bar. We're not necessarily party people. So when we travel, we will hit a bunch of different bars. We'll hop into different restaurants. And this episode is basically a love letter to the different restaurants and bars and bartenders, mixologists that I have experienced throughout my travel life. And this was so fun. This was a really, really, like I'm excited about the episode before I even get into the episode. And I'm hoping that I can, I guess you could say corral or bottle my excitement and um, get through the episode in a very cohesive and entertainingly meaningful manner for you guys. Um, but the mixologist, highly talented. There are smoking methods, um, infusing, flash chilling, melting. There were just watching them and seeing the challenges that were thrown at them in terms of, okay, so I want you to make caviar out of, what was it, vermouth or something? Like vermouth caviar, like little bubbles, but they had to be perfectly shaped. The flavor profile had to be correct. You mix like a gelatinous solution in order to make the, it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was fucking poetry watching them, but I'm into this kind of shit. And I really think a lot of you guys are, even if you don't know that you are already. So enter the bar, enter the episode with my experience of bartending. So I have a, a point of appreciation for what these people are doing because I understand it to not be something that is very um, simple, nor is it always easy, especially when you've got other coworkers and customers. And in a lot of instances, depending on where you work, uh, bosses and if you own the bar, you've got, you know, different 
how should I put it? Um, regulations and bigger things that are on mine. Like are my bartenders pouring freehand? Are they doing, um, the electric pours? I know the bar I was at, we had that electric system where we had to ring it up and whatever we rang was what the gun with the little nozzle that you put on top of the bottle. So the bottles had the nozzle that had like metal rings that would correspond with the type of pour that I would ring up. So the different sizes, like, um, a third, um, a half a pour or like, it was all in numbers, like measurements, all of those pours, like the amount that you would pour would correlate with a band pattern that would go on a nipple or a nozzle. And you plug that into the bottle, tape the bottle, and then you would have your electric circle, <laughs> if you will, that would go over the nozzle and the two would connect. So then you would be able to pour. So I had to ring it in order for the contraption to work. So I couldn't pour anything unless I rang it up and I couldn't pour anything that I hadn't rung up. So hope that makes sense. That is how some bars work. And if you own the bar, you're thinking in terms of what is the cost? What is my, um, what does my stock look like? How much inventory do I have? Cause numbers, dollars, I got to pay people. I have to make sure that I'm not getting completely ripped off. I'm not getting stolen from. I want to have enough to be able to operate and run business. So on the one hand, if you are just a bartender or a mixologist and you don't necessarily own, you're not the proprietor of the space, those things may not be front of mind. You may not be concerned with whether or not you are pouring. Like when I was a bartender, I used to love heavy pouring because libations for all, you know, it was my cousin's bar. I love you, Connie. You know, it was, it was a good time. If I could squeeze more out for the drink, if I could make the drink heavier, or if I could just, I don't want to say just do better. Like you take your, your allowances where you could, you, you make shit work. You know what I mean? And it was a good fucking time, y'all. That was a good fucking time. Oh, a good time. Easy money was made in college. I was just making money for no fucking reason. I didn't have any bills. I didn't have any responsibilities. It was a good time, but that was episode one. So episode two, fantastic fruits. Um, I actually have the show descriptions from IMDb. Thanks, IMDb. Fantastic fruits. It was episode two. Choosing from a diverse array of fruits, the contestants must create a sensory cocktail experience. What I appreciate also about the show was that it's not just about what tastes good. Is it creative? Like, are you doing something new? Are you doing something that we haven't seen a thousand times? Also, what does your presentation look like? Is it pretty? Is it palatable? Like, how is it plated? How is it served? How is it um, decorated? Like, is it going to look good? Can I charge $30 for this because of, you know, the extra judge, the razzle dazzle, if you will, that you are presenting along with the drink? What is the experience? So for Fantastic Fruits, I... I'd like to correlate that with the places that I've tried the most interesting new things. Um, so most of the points that I'm going through are going to be about drinks and different bars. However, the end shit of it all, the end shit of it all, I would like to also kind of touch on just that topic. So for example, fantastic, fantastic fruits and the places where I've tried the most interesting things. First thing that comes to mind is, I have no idea what the name of this fruit is. I tried it in Bali. And let me see if I can find a picture of it for y'all. At least those of you that watch on um, 
YouTube will be able to see it. I was, I don't remember, I don't know how to pronounce it in, what language is that? Now I'm going to just sound stupid, but, nope, is that it? I was going to, I think it was Watch Along. It's like back in the, I want to say like 2018s of it all. It was one of those really, really popular IG photos that you would always see where they're in Bali and they've got the sarong on and it was the two, I'm going to find a picture of it so y'all can see what the fuck I'm talking about because it is so worth it. But I'd gone there, saw the line and was, I'm absolutely not doing that. I'm not a fan of lines in general. Here is Bali and here it is. So if you're watching on YouTube, you may be able to see. So this is watch along. Y'all can see this. This is the temple that I had gone to. So I was here. I was also not waiting on the lines for that. I was not invested in that picture. That is of least importance to me. However, walking along that whole property, there's like a bunch of different like tables and people set up where they have different water, fruit, and all that other kind of jazz. Yeah, they look like testicles. They truly do. This is what they look like with the skin. This brown looks like that. Terrible. But the fruit, once you peel them, God, I love this camera. Look at that, zooming in for y'all, focusing. That is what it looks like. It kind of looks like a bulb of garlic, but it tastes like, oh God, it's fucking glory. It tastes so good. It tastes like an apple, a pear, and maybe like a nectarine as well. Like it's just a symphony of sweet flavors. It is so good. And I've heard dragon fruit. I've heard, um, I've heard a couple of different things in terms of what it's called. I'll do a Google image search at some point and I will add that to the show notes. Let me write down that I told y'all I was going to do that so that I can add it to the notes, Google image and find name. But when I tell you it looks so weird, but what I appreciated was that the woman offered a sample. She was like, do you want to try it before you like, I guess you could tell, you don't know what the fuck this is. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I tried it and I was like, yes, please. And so I bought a pack and then I think I actually bought an, another, like a, an additional pack so that I could have it for like another day because I knew damn well, I was probably going to go through that one in a day. But that is probably the best fruit I have tasted in my life to date. It always stands out to me as being the most jarringly surprising and happy, random, eat something from a stranger on the side of the road experience. It was a good fucking time. Um, next, I've got Costa Rica. I was actually just showing my cousin's um, fiance. I tried termites from the tree. I was doing a nature walk in a huge park called Turubari, which unfortunately I saw recently has permanently closed. 
my heart aches for them because the staff that worked there were all so fucking pleasant. They were so kind. I spent the entire day with them. They did not get boring. They never made me feel uncomfortable. They always made me felt feel safe. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, had a great time. And one of the nature guides was just like, you want to try termites? And I'm just like, um, why the fuck not? He tried them first and he was just like, here, just put them in. Like he showed me how to get them off the tree and, or I think he got them off the tree and he put it in my hand. They were still wiggling and, eh. um, they tasted like carrots. It was just the crunch. The crunch was actually more weird than anything else. But, um, yeah, that was probably the, and I don't want to say weird, right? Because just because it's, it's just the most new to me. I don't like to say weird only because these are normal things to other people, right? Um, culturally, things are different. People eat different things. People enjoy different things. Don't want to yuck anybody else's yummies. Not something that I would say stock up on. <laughs> Not something I would buy in bulk. Not my bag. But it was an interesting experience. Um I also have, ooh, I was vegan for a little less than a month. I'd say about three weeks. And it was very easy to do those three weeks because for most of that, I was traveling for like the first week. It was new and exciting. I bought cookbooks and I bought a, a, not a pulverizer, a food processor that I still haven't taken out the box. You see how that went. Um, but I had a decent week at home trying new shit. And it was actually around this time, right around, it, this was right after, um, this was 2018 because my grandfather had just passed. So I ended up going to Tel Aviv and Amsterdam. When I tell y'all, it was so easy to be vegan over there, especially in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv has the highest number of vegans per capita in the world, to my understanding. This was what I found out in 2018 when I went. Um, but that made it very easy for me to find food. It was also incredibly delicious fucking food. The best veg the best veggie burger I ever had in my life was in Tel Aviv. It was so damn good. So good. And um it's not a fruit. But you're following me here, right? Fruit, vegan, vegetarian. Yeah, we're here, right? Best uh, best veggie burger, burger, so good. Also, special note to Costa Rica. You know how if like breakfast is included, a lot of places give you like fruit with your breakfast. Costa Rica had. I I remember Costa Rica having the best fruit to me. It was so good, so fresh. That was actually the only thing I enjoyed about the hotel food where I was staying was the fruit. Everything else was very subpar. Everything else was like, oh, this is how, like, how do I have dry spaghetti? You get what I mean? And it was just like, not a, it was not a great food experience in Costa Rica until I went to Turubari. The food was nuts there i remember that shit hitting it was so damn good um and i wasn't vegetarian there that was a different part of the year i'd say that was probably i think i did costa rica before i did um that little euro trip neither here nor there and a banana sandwich bananas 
are fruit. They have the little seeds inside. Um, I was not expecting bananas and bread to actually be good. I did a, um, a sunrise hike up a, up an active volcano. Go figure. That was a good time. Um, and when we hit the summit and we got to the top, we ended up getting a breakfast that they prepared for us up there and we waited for the sun to rise and it was beautiful except for the sad part that it was actually a little, um, it was a little, I'll see, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna screenshot the pictures that I showed y'all and then I'll add them to an Instagram post so that y'all could see what I was talking about. Um, cause I never really know what the fuck to put on social media is kind of why I'm not interested because it's just a whole nother job. Um, but what was I just talking about? Turubari, right? Costa Rica breakfast. I was trying to show y'all something. Oh, the bananas, the bananas, the bananas. Here it is. This is why I'm back in the Bali section. So the sunrise was beautiful, except that it was so foggy. It was very difficult to see. So let me show you this picture. This is a picture from that sunrise. So it's beautiful, but it's kind of like, uh-huh. I didn't necessarily see the sun, you know, the way it wasn't as picturesque as I would have expected or wanted it to be. But baby, those uh banana sandwiches, mad good. I never would have put no banana on no fucking bread. I am not really like a bread kind of girl, you know, like I, I enjoy bread, but like as an addition, like it, it's not exactly something that I'm searching out different some people just love i'm not the oprah bread i love bread no i'm not there um but when you add the banana and the bread it was great and i'm assuming it's because they've got better bananas there i don't expect american bananas to really taste great on bread or even if we import i feel like they're not giving us the good bananas I wouldn't give us the good bananas. I'd keep the good bananas for my own country. Um, what am I up to? Okay, next episode. Botanical bevies. So in that episode, use episode, right? In that episode, also known as an episode, the um, using all natural ingredients, the mixologists pair up to construct botanical cocktails as industry pioneer uh, Dale DeGroff joins the judges. That was also cool that they had um, different industry titans come in and guest judge with the three other judges that are the constants on the show. So it was nice for the contestants because a lot of them admired and looked up to, unless that was just edited in. I don't know. I would assume that they did because if this is something you've been doing, a lot of them have been doing this for like 20 years. Some have been doing it for like a short amount of time. There was one kid that was only like 20 something years old, like early twenties. He was the youngest one on the show. And then you had another guy that was early forties. That was just like, I've been doing this for 20 years. So he'd been working in the food and beverage industry for as long as that kid has been alive. You know what I mean? So I love the way that there is balance through all the different, um, contestants as well. But in terms of botanical bevies, what that one got me talk thinking about in terms of my travels and my um, food and beverage experiences 
would be the spots that had the best plants, oddly enough. I am a sucker for some fucking plants. I love, love a good ambiance. I love being outside. And I just like being outside. I'm a, I'm a city girl. Like, I enjoy the, the comforts of life that do shit for me, if that makes sense. Being more metropolitan, if you will, there are a lot of comforts and first world um, additions that are part of my life that I want to stay. However, I love being outside. I love being around grass. I love being around trees. I especially love trees. I touch a lot of trees just because I feel like trees always tell stories. Um, but they've, they've just been around for so long and so many things that aren't like huge historical, um, in a book yet still important historical, like what's is what it is historically important for you is just as important as something that would go into a book, right? Stories are only important because we assign meaning to them because they are of some value or interest or importance to importance to us, right? What did we just watch? I think it's called Down Where the Crawdaddies Sing or Where They Lie. It's also on Netflix. Excellent, excellent movie, right? And it was about a little girl who grew up alone out in the swamp. And this was in, I'd say, North Carolina, a little white girl. North Carolina or South Carolina. And she kind of, this was also in the sixties, I want to say. And she grew up being referred to as mud girl, mud girl, swamp girl, whatever, something like that. And when you outside of the context of it being just a movie, okay. So somebody grew up alone, plenty of people grow up alone or so she grew up in a swamp or like in a bayou or all right, well, plenty of people grow up in swamps and bayous. Like people do live in these conditions. Like they live in neighborhoods that just happen to be right on the water or on a marsh or whatever. But when a story is told in a way that is of interest to people, when a story is told colorfully and beautifully, it becomes important. And that is my point. Your life is full of stories that when told in a way that are able to captivate people's attentions, are important. So regular life experiences, regular people shit happens every fucking day, everywhere in the world. And just because it's not a movie or just because there wasn't a book written about it, it just means that it, that doesn't mean that it isn't worthy of being in those spaces. And I truly believe that those stories and those occurrences and those meaningful interactions and experiences happen in places that don't necessarily end up being say in a book or in a movie or in a story or whatever, but we get to experience them. When we go on a, um, uh, say a tour of an old armory or a tour of, and I'm gonna get to that in one of the, um, botanical, um, bullet points, but, for, let me just jump to that, right? Guadalupe. Went on a nature walk. It was incredible. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Great tour guide. Had a good time. And we went to uh, a couple of spots along the 
and it was like along an island, if you will, because we could o- we could always con- we were never too far from the water. We were never too cl- uh, far from the coast. And I think that we had driven to a different island to do it, or I don't fucking know. But as we were going on the tour, there were a couple of structures, old structures. One was like an old uh, grain mill, or I don't know. It was small, and it had the little rings on it that you would tie like your horse to or whatever animal you were walking through with. I enjoy touching shit like that because just because whatever people lived around here or whatever stories were told here didn't end up in a book doesn't mean they weren't as intriguing or as captivating or as beautiful or as sad or as funny. Like there are so many innocuous stories out in the world. And that's why I really just like run in my mouth every fucking week because I truly believe you could learn something from anyone if you ask the right questions. You just have to be invested in listening to what somebody has to say. But I truly enjoy being in the presence of things that have been around for a very long time because of the stories and the lives that have been happening around them. And I think that all of those points of contact, all of those experiences and the energy from all of that has a place in a lot of these um, structures, buildings, and very much so, very much, very much believe it to be in trees because the trees actually consume the air and our CO2 emissions. And is it CO2 or is it just CO emissions? Well, the carbon dioxide, so it's CO2 dioxide. So, but you get what I'm saying? Trees actually expel the oxygen that we breathe and they take in our carbon dioxide and we, you know, our tears, the rainwater that washes over us and washes our emotions down. The trees are soaking all that up. That was a long drawn out way for me to say that regular stories matter to me. And I enjoy imagining that I get to be near some of and absorb some of the not absorb because I don't really want to be bringing that shit back with me because I believe that happens too. But I enjoy touching trees. I enjoy touching old structures because I believe that they hold part of the stories of the people that were before. And that, (laughs) I'm telling y'all, I'm really, this is such a fun episode for me. Are you feeling the energy here? Are you feeling the electricity? This is up my alley. This is what I enjoy doing. Um, But yeah, so the Botanical Bevy, Guadalupe, most beautiful, beautiful nature hike. And they are beautiful to me because they often have those moments for me where I get to run into old structures, where I get to experience and explore old trees. Even as sad as it is to think of the people whose lives were cut short and ended um, in these trees, all the lynchings that... possibly occurred or even just I can think of a million ways and different scenarios where a tree may be present for the last moments of someone's life if that makes sense but those people's stories matter and even though it may have been an untimely death or an unceremonious death in that space, I don't necessarily think that that means that it becomes now 
a place where it still can't happen that you honor and respect and show some kind of revenance for life possibly lost there. Like, I think that all of that is part of the stories that these trees or structures also hold. And that's part of the mystery to me. And it sadly is part of the history of a lot of spaces. And it's also part of the, I guess you could say the perceived or these, it's always part of this, especially depending on what tree looks like. You could just look at a tree and just, yeah, this would have been good for that, right? Like you can see that in some trees, especially the really strong ass old big ones. But being what that is, I don't like to necessarily just skirt away or even look at them like it's just a stop on a museum tour or as if it's something that deserves to be, um, for example, I'm not interested in going on a plantation tour. I'm not interested in, you know, touring necessarily, um, in a sense that like, an old Southern kind of like, you know, y'all remember that Airbnb listing that was actually former slave quarters. It was still on a fucking plantation and they were renting it out with modern updates. Like it had a bathroom and all of these things. And they just were trying to capitalize off of, the fact that that's what it used to be, but they upgraded it and then market it to people. I'm not in the market for that. Right. Like I'm hoping that you're seeing the difference here. Like I'm not, uh, looking to visit say, um, I don't even know per se if I could visit like, like I know that I had this conversation maybe a year or two ago, um, dark tourism, I want to say it's like in the episode one tens, maybe like the one twelve or, um, no, I think that's a COVID episode. I want to say it's and trigger warning for that one. The guest that I did have on that one, um, did speak about some morbid topics. So if you're not in a good space, you may not want to check in on that one, but if you go to travelshippodcast.com, you could just search, um, the dark tourism episode, just dark tourism. And that was an interesting one where people will go to like Auschwitz and different like concentration camps. And like, on the one hand, I get it historical importance of making sure that we know what has happened so that God willing, it doesn't happen again. But ah, y'all, I don't know. I don't know if, um, that is someplace that I could visit with a clean conscience, but another rabbit hole. I do intend to do another dark episode, a dark tourism episode, but I kind of have a different approach I want to do, but like, I see it in my head one way and I want to wait 
I want to make that one way happen. So I don't want to like do it a different way because I'm committed to the vision that I have on that one. But that one's going to be a good one if I could pull it off. Um, but yeah, that was quite the rabbit hole. Back to um, Fantastic Fruits. So I, no, I was up to a botanical bevy. So I did Guadalupe. I, okay. So Montreal, they had a, oh, uh, La Darling. We had, y'all know I love La Darling. Um, no, no, no. I'm thinking of La Virunga. In Montreal, La Darling. Now we sat outside because um, it was beautiful weather, but inside y'all, my God, it is so fucking gorgeous. We had gone in to use the bathroom before we went on our hike there are plants everywhere. There are plants hanging from the ceiling. There are words like light up big, you know, those big metal letters with the, like the marquee light bulbs inside that just, there's one of those on the wall. There's a really beautiful circular bar. Ugh, gorgeous, 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 gorgeous greenery everywhere. Like it is in, it is an impeccably designed space y'all it is so nice we intend to go back this way we can sit inside this time but um like the weather was too nice not to sit outside so we definitely sat outside but inside la darling in montreal it's beautiful highly recommend um we ended up getting there when the like it was like that in between our like the end of brunch if you will so they only had oysters and french fries on the menu and that's all we wanted to eat so can't tell you what anything other than the oysters french fries and like the beers we love them we had a great time the food was great excuse me good time but the inside a botanical fucking bevy that shit was gorgeous um also in detroit the roost i told y'all that's where i met one of my former guests Corey inside uh at the roost he was my uh barista there even though he doesn't work in a coffee shop but the coffee shop in and of itself had beautiful plants i remember just they were doing their order at the register and i'm looking at the plants and i'm pointing them out i'm like babe we got one of those babe i just killed one of those oh my gosh these are really easy to keep but mine won't live beautiful plants beautiful beautiful plants so the roost in detroit love their plant section and they weren't for sale it was just in terms of decoration um also in cuba i ended up having a most beautiful day and we did that day in cuba i call like my biggest day for first i did so many things for the first time that day um did clive uh but we did cave diving also we went swimming through caves and we also did cliff diving but in order to get to that location we had to after driving quite far from where I was staying, I was about an hour outside of Havana at this time. Was I in Havana at the time? I don't remember where I was staying initially. Yeah, I was staying in Havana at this point because I'd stayed someplace else earlier in the week closer to the water. But anyway, we drove maybe an hour or two outside of Havana. Can't remember what area it was, but we had to wait across the river. Like we literally... I guess like Oregon trail style forded the river. That's what it was called. Right. When you had to ford the river, but we had all of our bags and stuff like on a raft that they had somebody take over for us. But the rest of us had to walk 
through the river. Like you could swim, but it's like you also could just walk because it wasn't that deep. There were points where us shorter people, the water was about up to here. But outside of that, you either swim or you walk. I had on water shoes. I always bring water shoes when I go places. Y'all get you a pair of water shoes. I don't give a fuck if they look good or not. But when you are walking through a murky river or a lake or something, and when you're just walking through water, for whatever reason, like if you decide to go on one of these incredible um, experience, day trips, tours, you'll thank yourself. And I was absolutely thanking myself because everybody else was like, I have no clue what I'm stepping on. I'm stepping on rocks. I'm stepping on twigs. I'm stepping on stuff. I don't know if it's a rock or a twig. It's just, it hurts. And it's like your feet are getting stuck in the mug, mud and it's sucking your foot back in. It was a time for the girls that did not have the shoes, but me, smart me, I made a decision that I was grateful for. I had my water shoes. So, um, yeah, pro tip, have a pair, get $10 on Amazon, throw them in there, bring them with you. If you feel like you want to stay cute without them, by all means, go on with that. But if you find that you do want them, you got them. Um, so before, well, before we did the cliff diving, but after we waded across the fucking river we had to then go hiking i went hiking in a bikini like i would always judge like you know when they have like the really sexy women in the super short shorts and the crop top in this movie where they decide to go on a hike everybody gets lost and now all of a sudden they're running from monsters and um animals and you know mud people or whomever they're running from it's just like really costuming like she wasn't going to wear pants or you know a shirt something to cover her skin not everybody has the same you know apprehension um around mosquitoes that i do but also spiders also other animals also i don't want shit touching me that i don't know what it is when i'm walking through the jungle but bitch i hiked through woods jungle i couldn't tell you what it was i don't know the difference really i just know jungle is supposed to know rainforest is just a lot of rain i think jungle is also super moist and then like woods aren't not not what my degree was in I took the easy route and did communications and here I am communicating but we ended up having to hike and I hiked in a fucking bikini never thought it would be me never thought I'd see the day but I did I made it and when I tell you we had to walk through the most picturesque little archway of greenery to then be met by a beautiful view of the expansive open ocean we were on a cliff a beautiful green it it was incredible y'all and i also have video of that um so if i remember i will add that to the y'all gotta you know i have so much to share and i just don't oh here's cuba it's right here. Let me see if I can find it for y'all. Cause I'd rather just put it here and not deal with the social medias of it all. Oh, this was the river. You can kind of see people walking in the river here. I don't know if it'll, if, I don't know if you're able to see the little people in the picture behind me, but they're there. People already walked walking through the river and, oh yeah, it was a video. I don't know if it's going to play. Yeah, you can kind of see here. I don't know if it's going to zoom in on that, but like this beautiful, beautiful little like 
green and then you open up to this incredible cliff and you just see the ocean and the mountain well, i guess just no is that a mountain no that's just like the regular uh what do you call it not the regular it's more of the coast more of the coast all right so youtube it's there it was beautiful great fucking time i mean oh oh me bikini oh i was so much slimmer here mad greenery i love all the extra weight though that being said cuba botanical bevy was the other one here i told y'all about costa i mean go guadalupe costa rica turubari when i tell y'all i've seen the most beautiful views i've ever seen in my black ass life uh, i like a toucan salmon ass bird it wasn't a toucan it was something else i don't remember what it was but it was a bird it looked like toucan sam all the fucking colors all of the colors my god and so imagine me queen's girl sitting on a horse by myself guy a little bit ahead of me guy a little bit behind me we're paused we turn we're looking through the trees through the trees you can see the top of the uh the ocean the top of the uh the forest or the jungle wherever we were in you see the tops of the trees you see uh what do you call this i want to say it may have been arenal volcano but it was somebody's volcano in the background and then the birds flying across this beautiful pretty sure i cried there because it was just a moment of like surreal beauty but then also it hits you that like this is shit you see in movies or these are like the imagined views that you see while you're reading something and i'm here me i did it like i made that happen for myself and i'll always be infinitely grateful for those moments road trips give you the flexibility of taking the most control of your itinerary no airline delays or cancellations you can sit in your own germs and move at your own pace whether you're looking for family friendly or something romantic history and heritage or a foodie's delight i've got you covered choose your trip based on the vibe or the distance you feel like driving this pack includes dc philly hartford burlington and montreal all destinations are a few hours from new york city so they're perfect for anyone along the east coast to tap into the download also includes a packing list pre-trip car prep guide and a playlist of travel and shit road trip content these itineraries are perfect for travelers who enjoy having a plan with space for spontaneity head over to travel slash travel resources slash road trip to download your copy and take the stress of planning and packing off the table while you focus on the road but yeah so costa rica incredible 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 view that was a good time and then i mentioned bali the sunrise hike and i'll tell y'all that was the hardest hike i have ever done in my life and i've done a fair share of hiking homegirls and i up until well this was before the pandemic so probably last tour we took the hike we took together might have been like 2019 but like i'll link up with some of my girls in new york and just all right, bitch, you want to go for a walk? All right, we're going to go. We're going to get up early. I'll come get you. Then we'll, we'll get Vasquez. And then we just go hiking. Um, New York's got some beautiful hiking. And yeah, fair share of hiking. 
this one was so difficult. And I don't know if it was difficult because it was in pitch black. Like we got flashlights and then you figure it out. I'm just following three frat boys, one frat boy's girlfriend and some random guy from Bali. And it was worth it. The hike down was easier, but I'm a like, I'm better with balance than I am with, I guess, strength, if that makes sense. So the constant incline, the stepping over shit, the not knowing where you're going, and it was very difficult. And we took the easy route. So, and I'm glad, very grateful we took that fucking easy route. But along the short, difficult, but the payoff was worth it because you get to the top of an active volcano, you see the sunrise, the bomb ass banana sandwiches, and then we ended up just walking. It, it was a it was a lot, y'all, but that was a bomb ass hike. I enjoyed that. It was fucking beautiful. And especially the hike down, being able to see the jungle or the forest for what it is, seeing the trees and just hearing the animals actually now more coming coming to life. They're awake now. Um and then when you get down to the bottom, when you turn around and then see, oh, bitch, we was up there. I did that up and down. Oh, you can't tell me I'm not a bad bitch. Like I got busy again, proud. Like I was very proud of being able to complete that because there were people that were getting motorbike down because, you know, either they got hurt or it's just like, tap out. I can't do this. I'm, I'm not that girl. I was that girl. I was proud. So very pleased with that one. So then we get to episode four at the speakeasy uh, and teams of three, the contestants develop drinks from gin, bourbon, and rum for a 1920s theme challenge. Guests at a cocktail party decide their fate. I will say I just got into gin about a year ago. Boyfriend put me on. Love it. Gin and tequila, I would say, are probably my favorite spirits. Um, actually, pause on that. Tequila, whiskey, then gin. That's my hierarchy of spirits. Um, hate vodka. Um, rum is great, but it's not tequila. And I only like white tequilas. I am pref- I prefer Blanco, Resposado. I don't hate, but like I will not drink uh, Jose Cuervo unless it is buried under a bunch of other liquors in a mixed drink. Jose and I don't get along. Um, but at the Speakeasy episode had me really thinking of episodes, I mean, um, experiences where we actually either went to speakeasies or had speakeasy like experiences. And DC was the actual, actually, fuck, what the name, what was the name of it? We actually went to a speakeasy in DC, in DC. And like, we, I think it was, was it the Godfrey? We got lost. Like we couldn't find it. Like we literally couldn't find it. There was no sign outside. So it was a true speakeasy and like hidden doorway kind of shit. It was a random unmarked door that just looked like it was a shuttered store, like that it wasn't opened. It just looked kind of, uh, not destitute. What's the word I'm looking for? Like abandoned. Like it just didn't look like anything was there. Let me see if I can find... Ooh, it might be here. Damn, and I know that this, 
the name of this place is actually, oop, here it is. I think it's this. It's not. I have a million notes, by the way. Oh, here it is. The Gibson. I was close. Um, the Gibson is the name of the speakeasy in DC. So just Google the Gibson DC and I, just, I also want to tell you to call somebody and ask them to meet you outside from inside because it's very hard to figure out where it is. But, oh, here it is. Yeah, the Gibson. Let me write that down for y'all. Gibson was great. Beautiful speakeasy, incredible service, insane drinks. So fucking good. And places like that really, really highlight the distinct difference between a drink and a cocktail. They serve fucking cocktails there. They were fucking amazing. Also, Cincinnati, two spots we went to really gave me um, a speakeasy vibe in terms of them just making very, very good cocktails as well as the decor, the feel of the space. It was very rich, deep, dark without being like, I don't wanna say spooky, but dark without being dank, if that makes sense. like. No, I don't need bright lights to sit and have a drink, but I also don't need to wonder who is sitting in front of me. I don't want to hold a candle to get to the bathroom. So the two spots in Cincinnati were Longfellow and Sundry and Vice. Those two spots had good drinks and they also had a really nice feel to them. I enjoyed both of those spots. So those three spots, um, also I would say... There's a spot in, yeah, I wanted to add that one. In the city here, in New York City, there's a spot that we like going to called Ophelia's. Um, or is it just Ophelia? It may not be plural. I don't remember. But Ophelia, it's not too far from the UN building in New York. We go there. Uh, we've been, I think, maybe like three times or so. Every time we go, I'm only half partial to the service. The service is not bad, but I prefer like feeling like I'm leaving friends with my server, if that makes sense, without actually being friends. Like I don't need you to like, we don't need to exchange numbers and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I prefer more than a, hi, how are you? Are you ready to place your order? I'll be back. You know, I'd be like, hey, how y'all doing today? Y'all good? Okay. Oh, those are cute. Oh, okay. Nail polish. Those are cute. So today's specials, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any questions? I prefer more engagement from my servers. So for me, that's a little difference. It's a personal preference. But um, Ophelia drinks the food fucking nuts and the views are incredible. Um, heads up, if you are afraid of heights, um, maybe don't sit outside uh, because the seats are right along the ledge. So like, you can just like put your arm and then like look over and you're on like the 22nd floor, the 22nd story. Um, so it's a good time looking into the buildings around to see who left their, uh, curtains. And then, you know, white people don't be putting curtains up. I don't understand that. And so we're just sitting here, depending on what time it is, you're looking at people's houses, if it uh, gets dark and then they turn the lights on. So now we're just like, oh, I wonder what they do. You see the, I don't know. Can you see this building? Can you see the painting? It's fucking huge. I can see it from here. Can you see it? That's a good time for me. So 
I would recommend Ophelia for that, if nothing else. If you could sit outside, you can see into people's houses, you can see into different office spaces, you can see the cars. Like, it's a good fucking time. I enjoy people watching. Love it. And the food and drinks are good there. And it's kind of got like a speakeasy kind of feel. I think uh, management is way nicer than the actual staff, but it could just be because like when we sit, we don't sit at the bar. I could see like that bartender being a little more... um, chatty if you will but again not bad service just not my personal idea of like great service but um the management there is really cool they're nice the management has always been like i hope you guys had a good time is everything okay actually yes everything is good thank you for checking in so stuff like that is what made the experience a little bit um more enjoyable for me um and again Food and drinks are really good there. Um, next episode was, and I didn't want to just put too many on that category because I really wanted to highlight the ones that absolutely felt like a speakeasy. Um, even like bathtub gin is supposed to be like a speakeasy in the city. Um, I don't know if the one I went to is different than the real speakeasy one, but, um, We've been to bathtub gin. I don't hate it, but again, like I enjoy more engagement from my servers and we did it. I don't know. Something about it just was like, uh, not feeling it tonight. It could also have been the night that we went. I don't know. It was like one of those impromptu dates that brag moment. I love when he takes me on surprise dates and uh, it was probably like a random weekday and he was just like, we're going to go for drinks. Come on, we'll grab something to eat and we're going to do drinks. I love a man. Don't edit that out, boo. What else? Um, but yeah, so I kept that list short intentionally, but next episode, dessert and coffee. This is episode five. So at this one, we were down to eight mixologists. Eight mixologists create cocktails inspired by delicious desserts. Um, I'm not a sweets girl. It's just not my thing. I prefer salty and savory. And I can testify that, for example, Philly. I don't like cannolis. And according to a boyfriend, those cannolis were fucking insane. I didn't like them. I just don't. So I don't like cannolis, but um, it was a dessert experience that we had. Uh, I would also say that coffee, even like I mentioned in, I think it was the last episode that I did with uh, Princess, with Franny the Traveler, where she has that section in her book, Support Black Period, that was focused on coffee and the role of African people and just Black-owned coffee shops and different experiences that she has engaged with and encountered through her travels. And it got me definitely thinking about some of my coffee experiences. And one of the things that I realized is that I've learned to use quite a few different coffee-making modalities, if you will, based on the different places that I've been. So I ended up buying a French press um, because I ended up having to figure out how to learn to work a French press. Like in one of the places that I was staying, I don't remember which one it was, but I do remember where I learned how to use a stovetop coffee maker, like the little percolator. 
I was in Rome and I loved the little apartment that I was in. And I always preferred to make my own coffee, um, like in-house if they had all this stuff, I would look for listings that had like coffee maker or like coffee. Like if they said that they definitely included coffee, it got an extra point on my list and I would more highly consider it than someplace that didn't depending on what other else, what other else, right? What else was also available? It wasn't just the coffee that did it for me. Say all that to say, I learned how to use the stovetop coffee maker, a little percolator in Rome. And that always, I, I was a proud moment because it was quite a challenge, but I thankfully I had service. So I ended up just Googling it and figured it out and it was great. Excuse me. Um, back before I actually consider myself beginning to travel when I would just basically fly to different States where I have friends or family, I would go to new Orleans a lot. Um, Hey Angie, one of my homegirls lives out there. I ended up dating a guy out there, so he would fly me out there, but I went out to see Angie probably four or five years and we always would go to Mardi Gras and every trip I would take, I would bring home some Cafe Dumont. I prefer the gold slash orange container, um, but they've got incredible coffee. But what was great about that is that I didn't have to just buy it from there. You can get it on. I'm pretty sure you could even get it on Amazon at this point, but I was able to find it online. So I would just order it online and have it shipped to the house. But Nola, love, love, love the uh, coffee from Cafe Dumont. Um, And I don't think that I actually ever had it from Cafe Dumont because the one or two times we went out there, I was just like, I'm not waiting on this line. That's what I'm not going to do. But I think one time I went and bought or did something else. And the dude I was dating out there, I think he ended up just like grabbing or either he was just, he was plugged in. He was plugged in. So like lines weren't really a thing. If you picking up what I'm putting down, I lived a whole different life before I became (laughs) the responsible adult that I am now. But I will say we didn't do lines and, um, he kind of just was able to make things happen. But I remember he, I think, got like a thing of beignets and I just wasn't, I wasn't into it. I'm not into pastries and sweets. I'm not that girl. But I did have the best croissant I'd ever had in my life in Spain. We were in Northern Spain um, in Bagat. I had done a three country day tour and they took us from Barcelona up to Northern Spain and Bagad. Then we went to Andorra and then we went to France. So we were in this little Southern French town, um, right on the Pyrenees, uh, Oletherms. And in Bagad, Northern Spain, we were in this really idyllic little town. It was very quaint, quiet. It was very old looking. Um, baby, I also learned what an Americano is. That was a fun time. So we get to this little cafe and I order a coffee and I figured, let's try a croissant. This is, we're almost in France. I'll try it. And I was fucking hungry at this point. So it was just like, of all the things that they had, this was like the easiest, the quickest. I'm just like, I I want this now. So like, thank you. So that, and then I order a coffee and then she's just like Americano. And I'm just like, well, I just, no, whatever coffee you drink, black. And then she was like, okay, but like Americano. And I'm just like, no, 
Spain, Spanish coffee, like whatever, like your coffee, your kind. I want the coffee from here. She's like, yeah, but do you want an Americano? Do you want espresso? I'm just like, I don't, I just want, I just want the call. And the woman, there was a woman that was on the tour with, and she was just like, so American, she just wants like the size, the size, like Americano is big. Cause you know, like Americans seem to like everything big, like Americano is this side. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> so I guess I don't fucking know. I don't know like what your big here is. It turns out their large isn't even like an American large. Their large is like an American small. Um, espresso is like that thimble size ass little, it's tiny. So yeah, I think I ended up getting an Americano, but shout out. Do not remember the name, but from that moment, she and I were friends for the entire day and we had the best fucking time. Y'all, Spain was another, another world, another trip. It was another traveler. I was a whole different traveler, but I learned so much those early days of just like trial and error. You just go and figure it out. But yeah, I learned what Americano means. It doesn't denote like the type or the style. It is the size. Um, so that. That was a learning experience. And I remember, I think, trying to order coffee in an airport before I figured that out. And they had asked me like that same thing. And I'm just like, I think I was either too tired to just be like, figure, like have them try to explain more. But then again, language barrier, right? Like a lot of people speak just enough English to be of service, to be help. You know what I mean? To help you get what you need. But then the little pieces of like extra sometimes gets lost in translation, but the coffee was, I don't remember that the coffee was good or not, but that croissant, that croissant was good. So for me, that was like a breakfast, but a dessert, if you will. But that and learning, um, that important piece of information in coffee history, um, Bali, I ate shit coffee, which is actually Luwak coffee. So there's a little Luwak. It's kind of like, I don't know. It looked like an otter, uh, or like a, a ferret, I think. Um, that's what I remember it looking like. I could be fucking wrong. I wasn't as concerned with the, it looked like a fucking rodent or is that a rodent or a mammal family? It's larger. It's not like really small. I don't think y'all could look at what a Luwak looks like. Now I really want to know, but essentially they find the best coffee beans and then eat them, but then they shit them out. Something about that eating process and them shitting it out. Somebody thought it was a great idea to sift through their shit for these superior beans and then clean them and process them and make coffee. So of course I drank it. Of course I drank the shit out coffee. Uh, what is Luwak? Luwak animal. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. They look like little fucking big rats. Jesus Christ. Okay. So let me, it says Kopi Luwak is a coffee that consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet. It's also called civet coffee. Didn't know that the cherries are fermented as they pass through a civet's intestines. And after being defecated, um, with other fecal, fecal matter, they are collected. Hmm. Well, it's supposed to be very expensive. Let me see. Luwak coffee price. Where did that go? No. Luwak coffee price. Oh, 
and is famous for something other than its unique processing, its price. A cup of Kopi Luwak coffee typically costs between $35 and $100, and the per pound price can range from $100 to $600. That's 20 to 60 times more expensive, expensive than average coffee. So yeah, I absolutely had to fucking try it because when else was gonna, I going to have like a $100 cup of coffee like for the low? So I did it. And I remember it, oddly enough, like not being bad, but it also just like wasn't remarkable. What I enjoyed more in that experience were the teas. There were so many like incredibly delicious like teas. There were some really good uh, coffee blends also, but they did like a flight. It was like a tea and coffee flight. And then you could buy the ones that you really enjoyed. So I think like the tiny little cup like the taster cup might have been like four dollars or like six dollars to try um but that you just added to like maybe like the five dollars it cost you to do the flight i don't remember but it was very economical in terms of americans like for americans it was reasonable like i remember like yeah throw that shit on there i want to try it and it wasn't wild and then i ended up buying mad bags of like coffees and teas that i love they were all powdered it was incredible Um, I bought a bunch back. I still have a ton of them up in the cabinet. I don't know if they're even still good or not, but now it makes me want to go up there and see what all, see what I got going. Um, I ended up buying a lot of shit from that place. They had like oils and it was a time y'all. Um, Casablanca, I had the, oh, Senegalese coffee. I remember for like years, I ended up find looking for like a Senegalese spot to get coffee. I found two, um, actually I had a boyfriend at the time who was so sweet. He gave the most thoughtful gifts. And this is before we were dating. We were just friends at first. And I remember, I don't know if it was my birthday or like some kind of holiday. I don't remember. But for whatever reason, he ended up buying me a bag of Senegalese coffee. Like he sourced it someplace. This was a white boy at the time also. So I actually had to give him more points than that because it's not like he had any cultural references to help him through. This white man found himself some Senegalese coffee, purchased it for me, and then was just like, and we're, I, he had made plans for us to go to the restaurant that I think sold it because it was a restaurant in New York. I think it was actually a Brooklyn spot. We just never ended up making it out there, but I remember telling him about this coffee experience that I had. So I was in Casablanca, doing a day tour with my Airbnb um, host. She was mad sweet, beautiful home too. I think she was an architecture, um, excuse me, an architect, but gorgeous home. And she ended up doing a day tour and we were at the soup, like the open market. We were walking around everywhere, a bunch of different stops, but she knew I enjoyed coffee. So she made sure to make different stops that I could enjoy coffee. One of the spots was like in a more kind of an inside bazaar, if you will. And in that space, there was like women braiding hair. There were people selling stuff. It was all kinds of little cubbies and tables and stands of business enterprise, the whole shebang of it. And then we get to this one corner where there's this huge fucking vat and this dude is just stirring this big ass pot. And then he takes this little metal cup and he puts it in a tiny little plastic Dixie cup. You know, the little plastic cups you get from the dentist when you like do the mouthwash before you spit out. 
That's what he put my scalding hot coffee in. I could not even hold the fucking cup. Like I had to try to hold it like this, which was still hot because I'm all the steam is coming and hitting my little knuckles, my delicate little knuckles. It was so fucking hot. But once it became palatable, it was delicious because they put herbs and spices in their coffee. It's not just coffee. It is like loaded coffee. And I to this day, don't think that I have necessarily really tasted anything as rich and flavorful, especially in the coffee space as that coffee, as that Senegalese coffee that I had in Morocco, which ain't too far from Senegal. So, um, real authentic Senegalese coffee. I fucking adored it. It was so good. So, 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 so good. That was a really good, um, uh, experience. And then I remember we ended up going to another little coffee shop and just being able to sit outside at a little table and enjoy. This was a separate spot. It wasn't Senegalese coffee. It was just Moroccan coffee. Um, and just have a cup of coffee. It was either coffee or tea. I don't remember, but I remember that's one of my favorite pictures that, um, I had her take a picture of me just having a cup of coffee at a little table in the middle of Morocco. It was a good time. Shout out to, it was Casablanca was fun. Casablanca was fun. And I did have good coffee experiences there. I ended up finding um, coffee in Costa Rica while I was at Baldy Hot Springs. Ended up being able to um, order that coffee online. So pro tip, if you find a coffee that you enjoy, look on the internet. You don't necessarily have to pack an entire suitcase full of coffee that you love from overseas. See if you can either get the store or the location to ship it to you, or if you can just find it online. But, um, Costa Rica did, uh, generate some good coffee. I ended up ordering that coffee for years after that's the only coffee I would drink for like a solid year or two. Um, I believe, I don't know if it was Austria or Rome, but that was the first time I had gelato. I'd never had gelato before. And I absolutely dove into the opportunity. And I feel like it was Austria only because I remember being specifically excited about a gelato shop that was right by the hostel that I was staying at. Um, but one of those two spots, I had gelato. So I was wrong before I had gelato. Um, and top favorite dessert experience was our first trip together. My boyfriend and I's first trip we went to Vermont and he did all the cooking for the most of the week that we were there because it was just a cabin in the woods. They have 22 acres of property and it was just us in a cabin. And we had the most incredible, incredible fucking time. And then the end of that trip, we ended up extending it and staying an extra day in Burlington, Vermont. But while we were at that cabin, this man changed my life and introduced me to bacon fried brownies. And when I tell you that is one of the favorite things, it's one of my favorite things that this man makes for me. Like his tacos are world-class, love his tacos, but bacon fried brownies. I love bacon. I enjoy brownies. I didn't think I needed the two together. When he was telling me bacon fried brownies, babe, I'm gonna make you something. I'm just like, why would I want bacon on my brownies? I don't, I'm not one of them bacon needs to be on everything kind of people. I'm okay. And he was just like, just trust me. Yeah. You make, you, re, you, you render the bacon, like you cook the bacon, take the bacon out, and then you fry the brownies in the bacon grease. You don't do it long. You basically heat them up, fry them up a little bit on one side, 
maybe you flip it depending on what's on the top. You don't want to completely ruin and melt all your, um, like your chocolate off the top. I don't even think he flips it really. I don't fucking know. I let him do his thing. He works the magic, but you fry the bacon in the, in the brownie, in the brownie grease. I mean, you fry the brownie in the bacon grease. Game changer. You're welcome. So good. And honorable, not even an honorable mention, but shout out to Wynn and Fanny. Also, shout out to Wynn on the hoodie, special edition. Um, but for my birthday, Wynn and his wife ended up meeting us at my family's timeshare um, in Jersey. It's on Brigantine, Brigantine Island. And it was for my, it was like the week after my birthday. So when baked me a, they coordinated, he baked brownies, but they did like, they know I like savory. So they put like, he crumbled, uh, I think it was pretzels. Like he ended up getting pretzels, the perfect amount so that it wasn't wild, but like pretzels, I think were in the brownie. And then they made sure to buy bacon so that baby could make the bacon and do the bacon fried brownies for us. So it was like, instead of just making me a birthday cake, like he made me birthday brownies and then we bacon fried the brownies. World-class experience, world-class. So bacon fried brownies, y'all. If you haven't tried them, try them, but I can't guarantee you that they're going to be as great as the ones I have because my man makes them. Matt good, Matt good, insane. And I'm going to wrap it up on episode six that's what we just finished i don't think we watched um you know we didn't get up to episode seven that's uh paris but we got up to cocktail tournament and so for the and that one was a three-part challenge push the competitors technical abilities speed and precision to the test and that's one of the things that i appreciate about the show is that it's not about just your drink being good I feel like we can all make a good drink, right? My home drink, the drinks I make at home, to the gods, fucking delicious. I make a good drink. I ain't gonna hold you. I'm not a mixologist, but I'm gonna fuck you up. I make a good drink. So does my man. Like he is way better at it than I am. And I think that I am good. I'm good. He's better. They're better than us. And so it's one thing to just have an incredibly, an incredibly delicious drink. But it's another thing to be creative. It's another thing to do it quickly. And it's another thing to also present it beautifully, beautifully and creatively. Like it can be a pretty drink, nice amount of ice and then a nice glass. But then what are the garnishes? What are the accompaniments? What does it go with? Does it tell a story? What are we working with? And that is one of the reasons why I really love this show because there are different challenges and you see it in so many different ways. So for the cocktail episode reference, I just want to mention some of the best experiences that I have had. And at the top, hands down, Montreal, Le Varunga. Absolutely love Le Varunga. It's my favorite restaurant globally. And I've been to some nice restaurants. But Le Varunga is my favorite because of Zoya. And just the heartfelt, you can really tell that sometimes people love what it is that they do. And you can taste the love in the food. Her mom is actually the chef. 
and you can feel the love and the hospitality that is shown while at the restaurant. It was top tier experience both of the times that we went. Absolutely adore it there. Food is insane. We had everything on the menu except for maybe two different things. We tried a wide array of drinks. We had our favorites. Everything about it, across the board, 12 out of 10. Highly, exceptionally, it's an exceptional recommendation. Absolutely think that if you're in Montreal, you got to go to La Verunga. So they are at the top. Then I would say Labyrinth in Amsterdam, also black owned. La Verunga is black owned. And I want to say they're North African. And Labyrinth in Amsterdam was... Insane. Again, mixologist. Mixologist. La Varunga. Zoya is a mixologist. She ain't just a bartender. She be making drinks. She be making cocktails. You hear me? Same with uh, Sam in Labyrinth. He is the proprietor, I want to say. Um, I actually got to meet him while I was out there. And very kind. He and his partner, um, I believe it was like partner in life and in the restaurant. Um, she actually gave me a really good heads up. Cause I told her I was going, you know, we were talking about my travels and I mentioned I was going to Tel Aviv next. And she was just like, heads up. Don't take it personal. It's tough there. Like they, they get busy and it didn't make sense at the time. But then when I got there, it was like, Oh, okay. She wasn't even joking. Like Tel Aviv at the absolute worst airport I've ever experienced in my life. It was miserable, miserable. Um, and that's just because they're mean. They are nasty. Like the chick that was checking the passport. And I wanted to call her a bitch, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. She's doing her job, but she was doing it very nastily. It's one thing to do your job and it's another thing to just be fucking nasty. She was rude. I'm a very patient person. In most cases, but this here was the closest I've ever gotten to. Oh, so I might just not make it home because at this point, like we, we not going to do this. That was the closest I ever got there. That was the closest I ever got there. And I got to say in fairness to me, I am a patient motherfucker. So for me to get there, it was a time so that, um, then they literally unpacked everything out of my bag and ran that test little swab. Like I had to repack my suitcase. And this is like after you've already come from a place. So you've acquired a bunch of extra shit that wasn't in your bag. So the science that you have to fucking figure out in your brain to fit everything into your carry on to get back home to then have to do that again. And now in the airport, like in what is a perceived time crunch, because you don't want to miss your plane. You don't want people on top of you. You don't want to leave anything behind. You don't know what's missing. A time. A time. Um, But yeah, so she gave me the heads up and she told me that it was going to be uh, difficult getting to the airport in Tel Aviv. And she was right. She was fucking right. Um, yeah, time. Uh, but Labyrinth in Amsterdam, incredible, 
incredible cocktails, just watching them craft the drinks. Let me see if I can find this picture right here. This was Cuba. Where did I say it was? Amsterdam. That is part of the, nope, that's not it. Y'all know I have a, a file of, not a file, but what do you call these? An album of my shorty's uh, food. It's just pictures of his food. It's so good. Yeah, I don't have a particular Amsterdam album, so I'm not exactly going to be able to get to that. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen quickly, so not going to see that. But just like the glasses that they use were wildly gorgeous uh, it looked like an adult sippy cup. One of them, the handle was like a straw, mad cute. Um, but labyrinth, Amsterdam, another 10 out of 10, highly recommend great service, incredible food. I also was able to be eat vegan there. I tried a couple of things that were new there that I was very impressed by. Um, so good. So good. That was a good time. Um, Portland, Rathskeller, my Lord. Um, first of all, can't mention Portland without saying that the shop has the best oysters I've ever had in my life. And I've had my share of oysters. Um, drinks are good there. Service is good there. 10 and 10 highly recommend, but for the cocktail tournament, we're, I wouldn't say that like their cocktails or that it, the food experience was 47 out of 10. You gotta go. But in terms of this cocktail tournament kind of bracket here, Rathskeller gets it because we actually went there twice. We went one night, kitchen was closed, had incredible drinks. We were very surprised. Um, we describe our style as artisanal dive. We can appreciate a dive bar. We're not pretentious. We don't need, you know, dinner jackets to be necessary. I love sweatpants. I am generally in sweatpants or a pair of jeans. So I want to go someplace where I'll feel comfortable. Um, if we're going out bar hopping, I generally will put on some jeans, but I'm also going to have one, a hoodie, or I'm going to be casually cute and comfortable, but I'm just not the dress up girl. I'm not the heels girl. So we love going to a place where we can kind of be cute without having to like be cute. Like, you know, like the next tier be cute. Like I want to just be comfortable also. So we also happen to like nice shit though. So when we could find that middle ground where we get nice things in a very unpretentious atmosphere, artisanal dive, it is the perfect blend of being able to be comfort and present authentically without sacrificing quality service and quality food and drink. So when you marry those two together, you get a place like Rathskeller. It is very laid back. You could pull up in almost pajamas, almost, because it's also a beautiful bar. Like it does actually just really look nice. It's in, I want to say it's in old Montreal. And those drinks were so good. We were very impressed, very surprised also. And then the next day we ended up getting there earlier. We had to kill time before we caught our flight. So it was just like, all right, well, let's grab something to eat. We're going to just, cause we couldn't, we had eaten oysters at the shop. 
We have had our fill of oysters, but I was still fucking hungry. And I knew eating more oysters was not going to satiate me. So we ended up wanting to just get food food. But unfortunately, we just kept, we had gone to like another brewery, a brewery, a brewery. And it's just like, well, y'all don't have food food. And the food food options were not really anything I wanted. So we said, fuck it. Let's just do bar food. They're going to have wings. I wanted wings, essentially. Like I just really wanted wings. So we ended up just going back to the bar. The wings were fucking delightful. They were so damn good. Those wings, he got fish and chips. He said they were the most perfect order of fish and chips that he has ever had. 11 out of 10, highly recommend. Rascal was a good time. And even the bartenders during the day make good ass cocktails, not just drinks. They make good ass fucking cocktails. So we were very, very, very pleased. Highly recommend. Rascal definitely stands out as one of the spots that We've been to multiple times. Um, in Loaiza, Puerto Rico, we ended up doing a lot of, um, we actually went to one restaurant multiple times because it was walking distance from where we were and the food was nuts. I think we only did like three days in Puerto Rico. Um, and it was mostly just, let's just lay out on the beach. Let's sit on this balcony. Let's read, let's drink, let's just kick it. We had a great fucking time. We ended up finding a liquor store on the block that we were um, like the main street in the area we were staying in. And it ended up not necessarily just being a liquor store, like your typical liquor store. There was not an apothecary shop, but like a gift shop, if you will. There were apothecary goods like incense. And I want to say she probably had like sage wands and stuff like that. Crystals, candles, um, a lot of stuff like, um, somewhat metaphysical shop, but also just kind of like stuff that you could buy as like gifts for people. It was a really, really cute shop. Absolutely my speed. Shit that I would be into. And then in the back, beautiful. it would be like the perfect mix of boyfriend and I. In the front, all the hippy dippy fun things, the pretty things, the things that make you feel good. Woo, woo, woo. And in the back, the stuff that makes you feel good. All the spirits, all the drinks, but like very beautifully displayed. Not like In New York, you go to a liquor store here and a lot of them are just like behind plastic. You just got to tell somebody what you want and they get it for you. Um, But that's in the hood. There are other liquor places, other stores, distributors, warehouses. It's not that we have only terrible things, but in some stores, you get to walk through the aisles and you can grab the bottles, you can read, you can see things are paired and you can ask questions. And that was the experience with Ray. He had a beautiful shop in the back. There was a, oh, a beautiful, beautiful wood table um, where you could just sit like uh, either any of the time that we had gone there, there were people just sitting, little tapas, cheese boards, charcuterie, um, charcuterie boards. Um, People were just kind of just sitting on the first day, just having a glass of wine, chopping it up. Another person was having like a glass of whiskey or scotch or some shit like that. So it was a nice, nice feel. And that's what, for me, put Ray on this list. It's not that we had, um, and we also ended up finding, like, he recommended an incredible bottle of whiskey that we drank in probably 20 hours, maybe 18. Um, But the shit was good. And it just had a nice feel. The presentation was beautiful as well as the service the stories like we were able to just kick it with him we talked for a while we were there for probably like 45 minutes just talking to the guy he's a new yorker so we talked about um you know his 
coming over to Puerto Rico. We talked about spirits. It was a really, really great experience. So definitely have um, Ray and his shop in Louisa, NPR, on that list. Um, and then to wrap it up, we had the best time in Miami for my birthday. And I would say that Mao and Biblos were the best. Mao, when I tell you, I felt like such a fucking celebrity from the moment we walked in, like I felt like that girl. It was the best customer service that I think that I had in outside of like Leverunga. I felt very catered to like, and they were just so nice. They were so nice. We ended up having, we were taking, it was so cute. Like we asked our waitress to take a picture. Um, cause it was my birthday. So we, it was actually, I think the day after my birthday. Yeah. Cause we went to a Cuban restaurant for my actual birthday. And I think the next night we ended up going to Mal. And so we asked the waitress to, um, take our picture and she was just like, you are so pretty. And I'm just like, girl, you're pretty. Thank you. And so we're taking a picture. And then while she's like, you know, doing like the second or change, you know, you change it to do the portrait. You can't just do photo. You do a portrait. I too love a good vary a variance of uh, options when I'm taking a picture. But then some guy came over and was like taking the receipt off the table. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, no, they, I think they paid already or something like that. And he was just like, so-and-so wants it. And it turns out then the owner came out, brought us a round of drinks, was just like, thank you so much for coming. He and Justin became best friends. They exchanged numbers. We talked and it was just like, oh, wow, thank you so much. They comp part of the meal. like gave us like a, a pretty nice discount on whatever boyfriend spent and the round of drinks, the conversation, just like even the food was good. We had gotten like a seafood tower or some shit like that. Y'all great time. I felt so like appreciated. And like I said, for me, make me feel like you want me to be here and spend money. I'm an easy sell. So that was a good spot. And then in Biblos, that was the first time I did a chef's tasting. Our waitress was really sweet. And when I tell you like just the explanations of the different foods that we were eating and y'all, it all the foods were so good. The service was nice. The ambiance was beautiful. <sighs> oh, the food was so good at Biblos. So I couldn't like leave them off just because it was like, it felt like it hit that creative mark. Like when she came out and just explained what it was that was on the dish, like what we were eating, like the pairings and just so good. So, 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 so good. Like Miami was a good trip too. Miami was a good time. So, um, guys, I, I even had like another section about uh, bartenders around the world. Ugh, just, I really enjoyed putting this episode together. Um, shout out to Nico in, uh, in Rome. He was actually a bartender that a friend of mine, Hey Vinny, um, Vinny met Nico while he actually was in the area that I was staying. He was like, oh shit, you'll be in that area. Go to, actually, Nico's the one that gave me, where are they? Where's my favorite one? Where's my elephant? I don't know where I put it. Oh, it's here. He gave me all of these little coasters. 
Like I was sitting at the bar and I was um like I had the you know my beer. I went to the bar, met him, was just like, Hey, my friend Vinny sent me here. Vinny says hi. And then he was just like, Any friend of Vinny is a friend of mine. Drinks were on me. So he bought me my first round. But then I think I bought him a round of drinks. And we just sat and we kicked it because I had gone the night before to see if he was at the bar and he wasn't there. The bartender there was nice, had a drink or two. I'm back home and he was like, but he'll be here tomorrow. Just come on back tomorrow. I was still in the city. So came back tomorrow, hung out with Nico. We had a great time. Really interesting to talk to, asked him about Rome. And it was, just, it was really, again, talk to people. It's a good fucking time. I've had some of the best conversations with people that I've just randomly ended up having as servers. Servers are my favorite people to talk to. I love talking to my servers, but I was like, do you mind if I just keep the coaster? He was just like, he turned around. And like, and handed me a stack of like 20 of these, 15 of these. So I've got them like all over the house. Like all these little, all my coasters are from Rome. Um, So it's just, again, you can end up with souvenirs that you didn't intend to get. You know what I mean? Like collect little things that nobody is going to miss on your travels. The coasters from the bars that you go to. I am good for um, like when I go to... um, a restaurant that has like dips or sauces or stuff. I'm not going to not have dip because you put it in a nice container. That's definitely coming with my meal. I'm not going to put it on the burger or on, on the meal so that it gets soggy or so that now the whole thing is saturated and then changes the entire fucking food. Comp. Like I'm not doing that. So yes, I do take the little sauce containers um, every once in a while. Yes, I will uh, take a mug. But I also will often just ask how much the mug is. And a lot of times they'll just tell me, I don't know. I don't know. And if you're watching on uh, Instagram, on the YouTube, you can see the the wink I'm giving y'all. Um, a lot of them will just tell me, just take the fucking mug. And some of them will be like, oh yeah, we sell them $10. So I'll buy a $10 mug. And then sometimes I'll just keep them up. So it, uh, balance, you know, but, um, yeah, I've had some incredible, incredible food and beverage experiences around the world. And I've had just incredible life experiences around the world in general. And yeah, travel is so much more than vacation. The views, the tastes, the talks, the walks, they all mean so, so, so much to me. And watching a random competition show on Netflix had me really sitting and remembering so many of these experiences that I've had. And that's one of the beautiful things about travel is that it's not necessarily about, oh, I remember my vacation here, or I remember my vacation, I remember my first beer. No, it's just, you remember the experiences, you remember the conversations. When you really start traveling, not to say that vacations aren't, I'm on vacation now, shit. And I'm home. Vacations are great. I've gone on vacations. I've gone to Orlando. You know what I mean? Like vacations are great, but travels, when you give yourself that lane 
to step outside of vacation and just experience the place that you're in for everything that it has to offer. All the nuance, all the little things here and there, the coasters of it all, the cups of water, the coffee makers that people keep in their homes, you know, the different types of glasses that are used to serve you your drinks and the ways different people make French fries at different restaurants. When you open yourself up to more than just the resort or more than just um, the fancy places with the nice names, when you find out that there is a mom and pop or a family owned restaurant or a tiny little gelato shop that's walking distance from where you're staying, open yourself to the experiences and just the little things that are going to pop back in your mind and remind you of the blessing and just the ways that you are left with so much gratitude for the experiences that you've been able to experience. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about travel is that in a sense, it humbles you in some ways in the sense of seeing, in the sense of seeing that some people can just do with less, right? Like you're stressing about, oh my God, I got to pay for X, Y, and Z, or I got to do this, or I got to have that and blah, blah, blah. And then you get someplace and you see people thriving with and making things that may be outdated versions of things that you have. And it's just like, oh, but they made that shit work. Like not even just they made it work because they needed it, but like they made it fly for them. Like they were able to make more of what this simple thing was. And those are the moments that stand out to me. Those are the things. And those are my favorite travel souvenirs are these memories, these experiences and the feelings that so randomly can be, you know, tugged on watching a show on motherfucking Netflix. So if you haven't already watched it, highly, highly, highly recommend that you guys check out Drink Masters. Um, And I also recommend that you check out past episodes of Travel and Shit, where I've gone into more detail about the different travels that I have gone in going on and the nuanced ways that travel has intersect with my regular life. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it enough to join me next week. Um, that's it y'all. I hope you enjoyed. Bye.